Welcome to the Pharma Sales and Tech Podcast. Join Artem, Stefan, Ruslan, and Chris as we explore the latest trends and developments in the pharmaceutical industry with a focus on sales and technology. From cutting-edge innovations to practical tips and strategies, our expert guests will provide valuable insights to help you stay ahead of the game. Tune in to stay informed, inspired, and connected with the world of pharma sales. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and here's me, Stefan from Bloodforce, and I have, I don't know, an amazing guest today. His name is Brad Brochet. I'm really glad that we have him at the Pharma Sales and Tech Podcast. I think this is the case when Rob will do the best intro if he does it himself. Rob, can you intro us, like, how amazing you are? Just tell all our listeners. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Stefan. It's nice to get a, an introduction like that one. So I'm Rob Bruchet. My current role is general manager for Middle East and Africa with Ethi Farm. We're a French-based company selling hospital critical care and CNS products in Europe and globally. I've been in the industry now for quite some time, you know, as a consultant directly for the last 22, 23 years, working in Canada, Europe, and Middle East Africa for about the last 10 so really enjoying, you know, the career in that respect and, you know, launching new campaigns and initiatives across my region. Awesome. Okay. I, I think we'll enjoy this talk a lot because you've worked in different markets. So we've just been discussing for our listeners, we've just been discussing with Rob about the um, offline and offline ways, how you can reach out to customers. Let's say I was saying about my experience with Platforms that a lot of our customers, they're not really online. So they're sort of lurkers on LinkedIn. You can't really see them commenting or engaging with our posts on LinkedIn or any, any of that. And they're located in, you know, places where, well, there is internet, but they're not using it. So I was wondering, how do you like, maybe you have some examples of successful sales strategies that are like considered to be old fashioned maybe, but they work like wonders for you. Great. Yeah. So in my region, usually it's best as in many places to have a mix. And of course, the mix varies in a region like Middle East and Africa. You know, we have some of the richest markets in the world, highly networked, very tech savvy, you know, experimenting with new ways of using technology in our industry, all the way down to, you know, areas where there's a much more of a struggle around providing basic healthcare. So it's quite diverse. One campaign I'm particularly proud of was an opportunity we did here in UAE where we had a really nice mix of traditional and say non-traditional digital tactics. And one role I had, we had a couple OTC brands. They were languishing when I first joined the company. They're on the bottom shelf in the pharmacies here. And we took a good old fashioned AVR approach, you know, availability, visibility, recommendation in the pharmacy. So we did things like engage the accounts with a new trade field force team. We went in there with different education around our products and our therapeutic areas to gain that type of recommendation. We gathered some insights with customers and upped our game around visibility in the pharmacy. So all of those put together resulted in significant boost in share. And then, of course, this was going on during COVID. And we all know that COVID, the use of different digital channels intensified. What we did that was a little bit new that was mixing in with those tried and true AVR tactics was to, you know, use the platforms that were already in place here with pharmacy chains. So we put our own website up and as well, we linked with them on their own marketplace website. So when you search for our product, our category, 
we would come up and it would let the consumers buy right away. So we had links off our website into theirs. And on theirs, it was almost like, you know, working with them to optimize our positioning and on their online store. So it was a really nice campaign. We uplifted these brands significantly and were really able to increase our market share and, and ultimately started leading the market in those categories. So a nice mix of tried and true plus new. Nice. Awesome. What about like some offline? So obviously on, during COVID, you couldn't like sort of do any offline meetings. How about any offline meetings or engagements? What, what do you guys do to achieve success? Maybe like lunch and learn series or anything like that. Yeah. So we do a lot of, exactly as you're trying to, you know, doctor group meetings, AV meetings, where we're talking about our products, speaker meetings. We've evolved away from some of those just because you can reach more customers more effectively with, I guess it's now a tried and true tactic, of course, with webinars and virtual mm -hmm. meetings and these types of things. A couple of times we've partnered with some different agencies to help broadcast those further. And then, of course, the next step would be to use that content even further in direct meetings on reps' iPads, on our doctor portal sites, et cetera. So we still have a long way to go on those ones, at least in the places where I've worked, but lots of nice opportunities there to maximize that content, that education to ultimately help our customers. Yeah, because some, something that we're, we were struggling with is that, that although you have a very nice webinar, you know, it's very hard for to get like real attendance because people are sort of tired of online. So you really need like this hybrid approach where you where you have maybe some evenings or like dinners with, with potential clients and partners. And you have also like, you know, like online events as well, maybe like some hybrid events, which would work. I've seen something like that. They've uh, organized recently a conference where they had, it wasn't in the States where they had a, a live webinar, but there were like, after that, there were dinners. So people who wanted to attend the dinner, the offline event, they could go grab a beer with and, you know, meet other people in, in an informal atmosphere. It was organized in several cities in the U.S. So it was very, very like sort of flexible community-based. It worked very well for them. Um, I, again, I don't know if that, something like that would work in pharma, but if you have the resources to do that, I think that would be very efficient. Yeah, it's a great idea. And it does work, at least in my region anyway. I can speak about that. Where, you know, you, you can beam in almost a leading leading expert to deliver the education. But the way it, it works the best is, as you're saying, if you almost create a local pod hosted by a local expert or a local key opinion leader who can lead a discussion afterwards and interact with the speaker remotely. So it's a great way to have somebody give a talk, somebody provide high quality education that you know may not be as easily accessible in that local market. But then use it locally and have that face-to-face -face interaction for discussions, for questions, for follow-up to really mm -hmm. make a difference. Because I, I think we've all had the feeling of, you know, being at home, being isolated, sitting in your room, many distractions. You know, it, it's okay. You reach people. It gives you a tick when you're counting key performance indicators, you know, who attended, how many attended. But, you know, whether you're really making an impact or not, you need that that sort of face-to-face -face interaction to discuss, embed, learn, question, etc., And that's where you can really make a difference. Okay. I, I got a, I got a question. So how do you, since we have, you know, sort of like sales and marketing are developing quite fast. How do you keep in, you know, how do you stay updated in the, in the field with you know, technology advancements or techniques? How do you sort of stay top of mind? Yeah. Most important thing for me is being out there with the customer, 
So it all starts with customer in mind. It's a bit cliche, but in fact, it's true. So in my own case, over the course of the last month, the last few months, we're, one of our key strategies is opening up Africa, for example. And so I've been in Africa a number of times in Nairobi, Tanzania, Angola, South Africa, seeing not only seeing the customers, our distributor partners, healthcare professionals, but going out in the various institutions to see what it's really like to use our product. That's part one is understanding the customer. Part two is then knowing what to do about it. So bringing those insights back, working them internally to see what, what needs we can meet. And then being on top of things. So what I like to do on a personal basis is two things. One, usually late in the day, early evening, I get a lot of requests on LinkedIn from different suppliers to show their platforms, to show their offerings. So usually late, in the day, I like to, to meet with a few every week, one or two every week to understand what the latest offerings are, what they're able to you know, provide us that can maybe help with our problems. And then mm -hmm. two is, again, it's a little bit like we discussed the face-to-face. -face. So I have a nice group of colleagues here in UAE that I've worked with for a while. We get together on a regular basis, as well as internally. So this week coming up, I'm going to be traveling with my internal team that I'm a part of. It's a great opportunity to understand what's going on in other markets. For me, it's really the key thing is to be fresh, as you're alluding to. You know, Don't keep trying to do the same old, same old, because I gain a little cliche, but you know, what worked last year may not work this year and you need to be fresh and on top of things. So that, that's really the way to do it. Customers plus, you know, being in touch with others outside your, your usual circle. That's very important that you mentioned customers. So, you know, in the, I think in Canada, North America, Europe, we think that, you know, everyone's digital, everyone's on LinkedIn, everyone has an email address, so you might find them digitally. But when pharma companies try to expand into, let's say Africa, Asia, maybe APEC, LATAM, it's not always the case. You know, people, there is a, a sort of a different flow. There is a different way how people interact and you always have to go after the customer, not after, you know, you're not a one trick dog, right? Which knows just how to jump and that's it and catch the ball. So you got to play catch the ball in the way the customers are used to, right? So what I'm seeing is like, let's say in Africa, people try to trust you more if you meet them like personally, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, person to person, which it's sort of like the go-to strategy. So I was wondering, what's your like strategy or like what's your mindset when it comes to opening new markets? For example, you have to open Africa. So what do you do? Could you explain your thinking process or how do you go about it? Yeah. So first, as you're alluding to, you know, there's a lot of the face-to-face -face interaction. But I would say at first, it's more like looking at our portfolio and understanding how our portfolio potentially fits into that market. So what do we have and, you know, what's the market size? How can we, you know, which products are worth bringing given the thresholds of investment that are required? What's the potential? Then mm -hmm. the next question is, okay, so if there's potential there, it meets our criteria. What resources do I need to make that happen? And then that's where you can start diving in locally. That's where you're starting to need some local insights to first verify Yes, there is potential and yes, you can go capture it in different ways. So at that point, that's when you need to be on the ground. That's why we have a team in many of these countries. And usually it starts in two ways. One, at least in my business, we're a distribution model business. So we, we go in and meet with this potential distributors and ask them to help us understand the market, to size it. And if we have reps on the ground, we get them to go meet some KOLs and go to some key institutions where our products may fit just to understand what the lay of the land is in those sorts of places. Ultimately, the launch does require work 
around being in the marketplace. So what do I mean by that? You know, for example, in Africa this year, we've hired six new representatives to really dive into some new, new countries and launch our products there. And it, as you're saying, it's important that you have a face. People want to see face from the company, not just from the distributor, not just an impersonal call or a video call. They need to see somebody and have a personal relationship. So that's really our, our sequence, you know, size the market, gain the customer insights, put the investment against it. Of course, get the needed approvals and those sorts of things, but ultimately have somebody on the ground to engage those customers. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So how do you work with key opinion leaders, for example? They have like a workaround? Yeah, I would say the main way we work with them is, of course, on an advisory board basis where it's critical to gain those types of insights. And then partner with them on various educational initiatives that can help their practice in those therapeutic areas where we have offerings that can make a difference. So those are the key pieces in terms of what we offer. It depends. I mean, my preference is to usually work with them on more standalone meetings where we can work together and building the agenda and delivering it to, you know, to those doctors who can benefit the most from the education. And then again, digital channels, as well as face-to-face, -face. a nice combo hybrid meeting, a great way to go. Gotcha. Okay. So I guess you, you're facing a lot of challenges in the sales process and like how in the way, well, in your way of expanding your business, right? In specifically in maybe like Africa, for example, or Asia, can you name a few of those challenges and how you overcame them? Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have is, you know, I was mentioning we need to size the market. Even once we're in the market, you need to forecast the market. And the great thing about my region is there's a tremendous amount of unmet medical need. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity. The, the region is hugely diverse and can be quite volatile. And usually where, you know, you have diversity, you have the ups and downs of the marketplace, that means opportunities. But it also means you need to live with those ups and downs and you need to manage those going forward. So it's not mm -hmm. always easy to manage those types of things, budget for them, forecast for them, even on a short-term basis. So mm -hmm. uh, one example in my region this last year was that you know, we were looking to expand our portfolio significantly in Sudan, for example. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, okay. civil strife there and we're not able to sell there. We want to help the patients and physicians if it is possible to, to resume. But for now, of course, it's not. That means we need to be very agile. We need to have those insights in other markets. So that when those opportunities come, we can act quickly. But it's not always easy because, of course, there's product lead times. It takes four to six months to produce products oftentimes and get them to market. So I would say one of the most significant challenges we have is understanding the volatility and being very agile on both ends to manage that type of atmosphere. The good part is it's quite exciting. As mm. I mentioned at the beginning, I started my career in Canada and I worked a little bit in Europe. What makes Africa Middle East exciting is that every, no day is different, quite literally. And it's really not as, as linear or as you know, straightforward. So it gives you that opportunity to be agile, move quickly, and take advantage of opportunities where you can make a difference. So you touched the fact of like, that an important point about like taking decisions. So how do you use data analytics to like inform and improve your like decision-making or your sales efforts? Yeah. I would say, so my current role, we're building our analytics capacity and our data capacity in it. But in previous roles, we've made very good use of it. I would say for me, a lot of basics, right? Our field force effectiveness basics, you know, reach, frequency, call rate, 
CLM basics to see if, you know, the campaigns are being delivered as you've designed them, which visuals and slides are working, which aren't working. And then of course, sales data. And I think in my region, this is probably the key point for me. I always look at the in-market sales, to-market sales and in-market inventory. This really tells you the story in my view, you know, that's your first to see how the inventory is doing. And then you dive in from there. So if you're doing well, why are you doing well? Which accounts? And I think this is one area where, at least in my history, that has made the most difference using analytics. So in one job I had, we really dove into the account level analytics to look mm -hmm. at how our investment was working by account. And we mm -hmm. found that, you know, in some accounts, we were investing more and getting less. We found in some accounts, you know, certain products were growing, but in others not growing. We found with some distributors, the same account growing rapidly, other distributors not growing. And what this did was it really gave us tremendous insights as to how to best target our investment account by account and drive the sales going forward. So the compare and contrast almost by product, by offering, by investment type really made a difference in terms of how we were covering the market and which products we could really see the growth potential and then go capture. So I would say, you know, this was a very key project that that helped us segment the market better, direct our investment and really drive new growth. So highly recommend this sort of gross to net analysis account by account. So you get, how do you like, again, while you're using this data, you're, you know, facing people who you're facing a lot of like Salesforce, like how do you make sure that your sales, Salesforce is trained and like onboarded? Yeah. So. Key things, there are a couple of key things, you know, in my experience, in my current role, we, we've onboarded some new representatives. So the hiring process was key to find the best people who could fit in hiring. and okay. you need to scale them up quickly. This is where we, you know, we had a launch meeting with all of them in Africa. We did a bunch of face-to-face -face training. There's pre-work face-to-face training to bring everyone up to speed. The typical, you know, therapeutic area training, using the different platforms, sales training and communication techniques. And then we also tried to integrate them from a cultural perspective to show the norms and expectations that we have within the organization with various insights training about themselves, about the other team members. And then the last mm -hmm. part is we're building Africa. So some of the new team members, for example, are on their own in vast countries. So what we tried to do was almost give them a partner to mm. get the field with, to make sure that there was somebody to lean on, somebody that would visit them regularly and both ways. So they would go out and say Kenya, but then go back to Zimbabwe and vice versa. So that there's a lot of ongoing support for each other going forward. These would be the main techniques. They're quite tried and true, but I think that they'll prove themselves to be equally efficacious in the current situation in which we're dealing with my current role. Gotcha. So I was wondering, so if like your customers, let's say doctors, maybe they don't know about your product, you have to do a lot of education, right? So how do you go about like educating customers? Like what amount of time do you spend on like educating and or actual selling or you guys sell, you mostly position yourself as like consultants and not pharma. Like what was the way around it? Yeah, I would say we, you know, we mainly position ourselves as consultants around our products and our product okay. portfolio. Because our products are older, established medicines, we talk a lot about the company's product offering. So what are you getting from getting this product from us? And how can okay. we support you going forward? So this is one area where we're evolving our communications to better communicate our story, what we're offering, okay. and to help the physicians within their practice in those, you know, therapeutic areas where we operate. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So for you as, okay, I got a question for you as a manager, like how do you prioritize and stay on top of like sales pipeline and basically on top of your staff? Like, do you have a secret you want to maybe tell us? A secret. So, you know, a sales pipeline, basically we have a great bunch of, so from a product standpoint and a geographic expansion standpoint, we have a nice system where we have project managers who help us understand the product, the potential in various countries and manage the process to ultimately launch those products in the market. So that's kind mm -hmm. of what we do from a product perspective and a geographic expansion perspective. From an account perspective, for me, the secret is getting to know everybody. So I'm in, <laughs> in, a, in a nice position. So I've worked in big pharma. Now I'm at a smaller company. I have no excuse not to know my entire field force by name to really integrate myself there and build strong relationships with them. So for me, the personal aspect of it, it's actually quite key in terms of understanding their needs in the marketplace, listening and going forward. So we have all the tried and true, you know, CRM, metrics, data, performance, sales, etc. Mm -hmm. But secret sauce for me, and I'm lucky to be able to do it, is that I can really know everybody in my region on a personal basis. And that's really a key way to bring glue to the team and help the team evolve and be successful. So I'm actually really curious. I can see you're very experienced in, in selling like Wherever, wherever, like, you know, the job takes you, like if it's Middle East, like if it's Europe, then Africa, what would you say are the cultural differences in selling in different regions? Let's take Africa and Europe, for example. Yeah, it's a tough question, actually. So there, I almost see more commonalities than differences. So from a commonality perspective, you know, there's always the patient need. There's always the need for education. There's always the need to show your value and to do it quickly and efficiently, right? I would mm -hmm. say Africa, Middle East, there's perhaps more need to first establish relationships before jumping into the nitty gritty or transaction. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, you need to be, as we talked a few times now, you need to be there a few times. They need to recognize, people need to recognize you. You need to build a relationship over time. It can't just be through, you know, electronic. Transactional. It can't be just transactional, yeah. Exactly. And I would say the markets in Middle East Africa, they're very, you know, I think they're very open to, to change, very open to doing things in new ways, very open to engaging because the need's high. And as I said, you know, there's ups and downs in the market. So people need to be agile to cope. And I think this gives an opportunity for us to add value and to work at a different pace. So it's quite interesting that way. Gotcha. Okay. That sounds interesting. I have a question. So right now people are talking about ChatGPT use and how they use ChatGPT. And I just came three weeks ago from Next Farm conference in Dubrovnik in creation. Do you guys use ChatGPT or maybe you've seen people like other farmer use it? And was it successful or not? Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't really provide you with a lot of insights on that one. I mean, from my perspective, it's an area to be investigated to see how we can apply it to our business and our customers going forward. It clearly has huge potential for not only pharma sales and marketing, but pretty much all endeavors. So it's something, maybe if I come on your show next time, I'll have some more insights for you to share on that one. I'll, I'll tell you like a case that I have, I have known that um, I've read somewhere in the news that someone for working for Samsung has fed ChatGPT with some confidential information, not of course, not on purpose. And now. The whole world knows about the Samsung's trade secrets and which, you know, cannot, this concerns, I guess, a lot of the pharma people, like everyone who is in, in a corporation, it concerns everyone because you obviously have things that you don't want others to know. 
and you're, you know, you're using ChatGPT or AI tools to sort of like help you. But at the same time, the knowledge that you gain is a part of, you know, everyone has it now. So it's sort of inconvenient. So I'm wondering what sort of regulation is, are these AI tools going to have? Anyway, cool. Okay, Robert, it was great. I don't have any more questions for you, actually, because I would rather make an, another episode and ask you about other uh, things. But just that, I, because this episode was so pumped up with insights that, you know, I'd like to have it short, like short, better shorter than longer, because then people can be like, bam, 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 bam. So I have my own last question for you. Sure. So if you had to give an advice or two adv advices to pharma companies who are expanding into different markets, let's say Af Africa and Middle East, what would, would the advice sound like? What would the advice sound like? You know, the advice would sound like do your homework and get out of your office. So do your homework <laughs> and don't think you can do it without getting on a plane and actually being with the customers, being in the marketplace and understanding. So I always tell my team the best idea. I'll never get a great idea sitting at my desk in Dubai. It'll always come out in the field working with our team and with the customers. So get out of your office. That's my, my words of advice. Correct. Because, for example, with our uh, CRM, we started selling it like sort of online. And then we figured out there is no way to work. You gotta, you're going to go and, and meet customers. So now we're, you know, sort of the guys are like, okay, so we're going to Asia. We're going to be in the Philippines for this, this amount of time. We're going to be in Africa this amount of time. I'm like, yeah, this is the way to go. You got to do road shows. You got to meet people. It's, you know, it's the only way how you can build trust. Not sitting in an office, obviously. Yeah. Totally agree. You know, last week we were in Nairobi. We had so many good meetings on the Friday. It was just one back to back to back to back. And I think some people may dread the travel, but when you have a day like that, honestly, it's very energizing and gives you so many ways to help going back. You know, how can you grow the business while helping your customers? It really makes a huge difference, not only to them, but to you. It shows them you're serious and you'll beat your competition every time hustling like that and understanding what's really going on. Yeah, correct. Because, you know, as they say, when you're number two, you try harder. Okay. So, you know, so like you, if at least for us, I think for every second or third player or third or fourth player in the market, if you guys listen to us, if you guys are competing for markets, you got to go and meet your customer. There is no excuse to that. No. You will have way more insights, which you won't find on Zooming for any, on the internet or anywhere written, but talking to customers, you'll hear something that will help you move your business forward. Yeah, definitely. You know, and just a comment on that, you know, it even helps you inside the company. So inside companies, you need to be the voice of the customer inside your company. Your credibility is much higher when you've had the actual meetings, you know, the customers, you've been on the ground, you see how they work, you've seen their challenges. It makes a huge difference because, you know, sometimes the company itself can be a barrier to growth, you know, changing systems, changing offerings, you know, undertaking new processes. But when you can come back with the customer insights and you're credible and you're a strong advocate, that's when you can make a big difference and move faster than your competitors. So, you know, I think internally and externally, it just makes a, a giant difference when you're out there with the customer. Awesome. That's very sound advice. Thank you, Rob, for this episode. Hopefully to see you like in half a year or a year time. We can talk more about ChatGPT as you promised. Yeah. I wish you all the good luck in, in selling. Yeah, thanks a lot, Stefan. Really happy to be on the show and best of luck with everything. Thanks. Oh, the pleasure is mine, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks.